So Father, we love you, God, we need you. God, accept you, uh, build the house, we labor in vain. And so God, we're trusting that right now you will do what only you can do. And then Lord, we're also trusting that only you will be glorified. Lord, help us to worship you in our response to your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Proverbs chapter 12, we're in verses 24 through 28. Lord willing, we'll finish the, the chapter today. We're in verse 24. This would be point number six for us in this chapter. We're again comparing, right? We're seeing the contrast between the righteous and the wicked. And here we're seeing in terms of their way of living, we're seeing how they work. And verse 24 says, the hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. So this faithful worker becomes a leader, right? That's your first blank. He becomes the employer. He becomes the ruler. The hand of the diligent, the hard, the faithful worker, the diligent worker ends up in leadership. But the slothful shall be under tribute. The lazy worker, right? (laughs) The lazy worker ends up in forced labor. That's your next blank. Okay, he's the employee. Okay, so somebody was working hard and needed help. Somebody else, they just weren't working that hard. They were figuring it would all just work out. And pretty soon they found out, I'm starving. I need a sandwich. And over and over again, God says, well, get a job. Okay, so this guy's paying taxes. He's making just enough to get a sandwich. The diligent is getting the profit off their labor. Do you see how that works? But more than that, have you ever noticed in the Word of God how the people that God calls, they're already working? Have you noticed that as you study the Scripture, when God calls someone? They're just, typically, you'll see them already working. In, in Matthew chapter 4, Christ calls the disciples who are mending nets. They're working. They're actively working the trade of catching fish, or they're collecting taxes in Matthew 9. It wasn't an impressive job for the time, but, but, the, but you got to hand it to Matthew, man. He's working. Or they're burying their dead in Matthew chapter 8. Or in the case of the Apostle Paul, he was no lazy man. He was actively at work. I mean, he was working hard. He was putting in overtime, destroying the church. And God looks at this guy and says, that's a hardworking man. I need to ring his bell. <laughs> so he does. God is looking for workers. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, don't be a bum. <laughs> Get a job, you bum. God is looking for workers. Luke chapter 10, verse 2, therefore Jesus, he said unto them, the harvest truly is great. I mean, the wheat's going bad on the stock, man. Nobody cares. The harvest truly is great. Souls could be captured for Christ. They could be one, but everybody's got something more important to do. HBO, Netflix, Hulu came out with a new series, and we got to stay on track with that. The harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. We need some slothful workers to repent and become diligent. And guess what will happen? The diligent will bear rule, won't they? Right? Isn't that what will happen? The diligent will bear rule? Man, I'm begging that at the judgment seat of Christ, there will be fruit that will abound to the count of every member of MBT, to the account of every member of the churches that we start with all my heart. I want everyone to have fruit, to be able to point to someone and say, I got to harvest you. 
you're my crown of rejoicing today. Have you noticed that God despises laziness? We see this over and over again in Proverbs. So get this down in your notes. Hard work is good. Hard work is good. That's why we're happy when we know we're working hard. Have you ever hit the zone where you're busting tail, you're working hard, and the sweat is running off your forehead, and you're just having a ball? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Everybody's like, I better raise my hand. Almost nobody raised their hand. That's, wow. So, got caught in the trap. It's an amazing thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a wild thing. You can be busting your tail, and you think, I can't wait till this is over, but there's a sense in which it's still awesome. You're happy when, you're, when you know that you're working hard. It can be hard, hard work can be unpleasant and at the same time be very good. And you know what I'm talking about if you've been there. See, here's the call of God to his workers, to his laborers, Colossians 3.23, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Man, when Mark Trotter would get in the pulpit, um, you heard from the Lord. And I've heard him answer this question on more than one occasion. Mark, how do you do it? How do you do what you do? And he'll make some, I mean, he'll talk about a proper hermeneutic and he'll, he'll go through a, a few key things. But what I've heard come out of that conversation more than once, several times over the years, he says, well, I'm kind of a grinder. I'm a grinder. I just stay at it until the message is ready. Uh, why? Because God's people got to eat. So Mark's in the kitchen, and he's making a sandwich for all church retreat. Hard worker, and the result was much production, wasn't there? There was a lot of fruit, wasn't there? And guess what? The diligent shall bear rule. Mark will rule with Christ in his kingdom. He was very much a hard worker. He was a grinder. He was very focused on biblical wordsmithery, wasn't he? I mean, he was all about it. Comparing this with that. And seeing this thing versus that thing. And he was just comparing and contrasting Scripture with Scripture to make sure that God's people got it. And the product speaks for itself. And what he's going to hear is, well done. You were faithful in a few things. I'm going to make you ruler of many things. The hand of the diligent shall bear rule. Matthew 25, 21, as the Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. You know, when we get into Christ's kingdom, if I'm working for one of you guys, that would be awesome. Be diligent. The harvest is great. So many lazy, fearful, there's a lion in the streets. We've just seen all of these excuses for why people, God's people won't get to work. I know what I should do. I know I should share Christ. I know I should start a Bible study. I know I should, but here are the reasons why I can't. No, those are the reasons you've told yourself why you won't. The hand of the diligent shall bear rule. Okay, verse 25. Here's how they deal with life issues. Verse 25 says, heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop. But a good word maketh it glad. Okay, so get this down in your notes. Depression is real. It's a real thing. God designed you to be able to be depressed. Depression is a feedback mechanism in your emotional makeup, and you need that. That helps you to see that not everything is going right in your life. 
we need that. You know, if everything was going miserably, but you felt fantastically, there would be something wrong with that, wouldn't there? Um, depression is real, and, and, and sometimes if it's not dealt with properly, it can cause anxiety. It causes anxiety, and so that will weigh you down to the point where sometimes you won't feel like getting out of bed. Okay, so, you know, that, that depression, that heaviness of the heart, it can make you to stoop, and, and you just see that principle over and over again in Scripture. We saw it in chapter 12, verse 4, a virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. Uh, it's a cancer. Proverbs 17, 22, a merry heart doeth good like medicine. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but broken bones, or a, I'm sorry, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Chapter 15, verse 13, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart is the spirit broken. So depression is real. We need some biblical encouragement. Encouragement is real as well. Okay, so again, I just, tonight's message is brought to you in remembrance of Pastor Mark Trotter. Uh, Pastor Trotter, has he ever, has he ever dropped a bummer of a message? Like, have you ever walked away saying, I just feel so terrible, there's no hope? No, I mean, Mark was an encourager. The last three, if you were his friend on Facebook, you knew he dropped these, these one-page devos. And he was usually good for at least one a week. Sometimes you get two or three in a week. And before the brain lesions, the cancer lesions on his brain got so bad he couldn't function, um, he, he dropped three before he went to the hospital, three of these. And this, so this was one of his last three writings uh, right before he died. And I just want to read this to you. The title is, Anybody Trying to Recover from a Broken Heart? And then Mark... He says, may I humbly seek to offer a word of encouragement? If I were to ask you what the shortest verse in the Bible is, I bet you'd be able to quote the two-word answer from John eleven thirty-five: 35, Jesus wept. But if I were to ask you why Jesus was weeping, do you know the answer to that? Most people would probably say that it's because one of his dear friends, Lazarus, had died. And I'll give you that, that that may have been a been the occasion of his weeping, but certainly, it is certainly not the reason for his weeping. And we know that because as Jesus is making his way to Lazarus' grave on two separate occasions, he made abundantly clear that he was actually coming to raise Lazarus from the dead. And you see that in chapter 11, verse 11, and verse 23. But nonetheless, when, La- when Jesus gets to Lazarus' tomb, for some reason, his heart, Jesus' heart is broken. He's weeping. He's grieving. He's even groaning in his spirit. And you see that in verses 33 and 38. And then Mark says, but here's the thing. He's not weeping, grieving, and groaning because he's brokenhearted for Lazarus. And he's certainly not brokenhearted for himself. Again, he knows full well that he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. So what's he brokenhearted about? And he says, this is so awesome, y'all. Jesus is brokenhearted for the brokenhearted. That's what broke his heart. What the passage reveals to us is that Jesus was weeping and grieving and groaning because the people at Lazarus' grave were weeping, grieving, and groaning. Oh my, if you want a glimpse into the incredible heart and compassion of God, of our God, this is it. 
And then Mark says, and oh, my brother or sister, if you find yourself grieving, weeping, and or groaning in your spirit today because your heart is broken, be comforted in the fact that Jesus is brokenhearted because you're brokenhearted. And that he weeps and grieves and groans right along with you today. And how do I know that? Because what was happening in John 11 is simply a living, visible example of the principle that God taught us in Hebrews 4.15. That our Lord Jesus Christ is our sympathetic high priest who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And because he is the almighty God who allows himself to feel what we feel and hurt like we hurt, the next verse says, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And then Mark finished that devotional with this last sentence. He says, oh, may you allow our great Savior to lavish his mercy and grace upon your broken heart today. And what an encouragement that is, that when we're brokenhearted, that when we're grieving, when we're heavy, when something's happening that calls us to stoop, causes us to stoop, our high priest is suffering right along with us. Man, that's encouraging because nobody wants to cry alone. You think you do. I mean, you really do. Remember when that first hit you? What do you do? You're like a dog that got wounded and you're going to go lay down underneath the truck to die or something. You want to be alone uh, and until you get with some people that help you grieve, that understand, that'll share your burden, that'll share your grief with you. He is our high priest, and he is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Man, praise the Lord. So, what do we do? How do we respond? Because we have a choice, right? You look back, look at the verse. Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. So you have a heavy heart, and, may, and, and, and it may or may not be legitimate. Typically, when your heart is heavy, there's a good reason for that, and what you need is a good word. That is the good medicine that you need. You need that good word to make it light. And so, so get this down in your notes. As believers, we need to learn how to reckon rightly. Reckon is your next blank. That means you need to be encouraged in the word of God. What it says, you may not be feeling what it says in your life, but you better believe what it says. You better start believing on what it says. Because if you're feeling A, but the Bible says I got solution B for you, if you never receive solution B, then problem A is just going to continue. Do you see that? If I've got a wart on the end of my nose and it's embarrassing, this wart just keeps growing and growing and it takes my plain mug and just makes it uglier and uglier and I feel like I can't face anybody and somebody says I've got magic wart removal, it's a mixture of, you know, mushrooms, toad sweat and lizard glands or whatever, but it takes care of warts, okay? It's clinically proven to take, obviously I'm not a clinical scientist, but They've got this medicine that will take, if I don't take that medicine and stick it on my ward, I'm just going to be carrying ugly with me for the rest of my life, right? I have to receive the solution, and the Word of God is full of medicine, good words to lighten the heart. So I need to believe on it. I need to learn to reckon. That's how I got saved. Romans 6.11 says, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Whenever I believed on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, now I have the ability to believe that I am dead to the sin that held me captive. 
How amazing is that? What victory, what a deliverance. I'm dead unto sin now and I'm alive unto God all through the finished work of Christ at Calvary. Look at how Abraham reckoned, Galatians 3, 6. Even as Abraham believed God, count the stars. You can't number the sand on the shore. Well, that's what your seed's gonna be like. God, I believe that. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. You see the same thing in Romans 4, 3. So we need to take what, whatever I'm dealing with in my life that's got me heavy in the heart, I need to find out what the good word is right, what the good word and the word of God is, and I need to believe on that. I need to reckon it applied to my life. I need to submit to its truth. I need to walk in submission to it. But I also need to be encouraged by my brethren. That's your next blank. This is why we desperately need one another. We need to come together. Let us not, uh, uh, Hebrews ten twenty four. let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. A lot of times I know how I should love, I know what I should do, but I need to be encouraged, I need to be provoked in that. So we need those times together. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. And again, anytime you were with Mark, he was always encouraging you. He was always trying to provoke you. He was always trying to encourage you. Um, I reconnected with Mark the year that we had him out the first time for All Church Retreat. Um, how many years ago was that, that Mark started coming? Six years ago? Is that right? Does that sound right? I think six years ago. Huh? It's been a minute. I know that. Okay. And in those years, I've had a lot of time with Mark and, and with Mark with other people. And during that entire term, in, uh, that entire time, I never heard Mark say one discouraging word to one person or about one person. Uh, that's a model to follow. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, Ephesians 4.29. A word spoken in due season, due season, how good it is, Proverbs 15, 23. Proverbs 12, 18 says, the tongue of the wise is health. The tongue of the wise is health. Uh, be good medicine to people that need encouragement. Next in verse 26, we see how they lead. We see how they lead. The righteous is much more excellent than his neighbor, but the way of the wicked seduceth them. So this is talking about the influence of others. Uh, it's either beneficial or seductive, okay? The influence of the people in your life, it's gonna be either beneficial or it's gonna be a detriment. So choose your influencers carefully, okay? Be very careful in choosing your influencers. You're not gonna find them on Instagram. We all have to learn what to think and how to think. All of us have to be taught. You don't want some influencer on Instagram teaching you how to think or what to think. So choose very carefully. Be careful in choosing your, your friends. Your, your grandparents said it this way, birds of a feather flock together. So be very careful who you flock around with because they're affecting how you think. Amen? Uh, the meme will sink in in just a minute for some of you. 
for others, just ask somebody to explain it to you. Birds of a feather flock together. First Corinthians 15, 33 says, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Okay, do I have to explain this to you? <laughs> do, I, do I need to do that? So, so the theme here is birds of a feather flock together. They're about to send her husband where her brother at. Nikki, you, does, do, does everybody know who, this is a very popular singer. Uh, this is a... This is, Nikki is like a global music sensation. And the stuff she produces might have a catchy beat, but it's all filth and trash just right out of the pit of hell, okay? So Nikki Minaj's husband arrested, indicted for failure to register as a sex offender. They're about to send her where her, husband, where her brother at. What, in other words, birds of a feather flock together. Be careful who you flock around with. Amen? Uh, you say, well, what if I'm already an RSO? Well, start hanging out with brothers on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ and flock with them. That's what I loved about Mark. He's always calling people to view God as worthy, to consecration, to whatever God wanted, right? Whatever, whatever God had for you. Uh, wherever that was, whenever that had to be, be all in all the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you want to walk with people like that. Don't be seduced away from the place of consecration in your life. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Hebrews 12, we have a great cloud of witnesses, so lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds." So before we move on to the next verse, I guess we need to add this to the homiletics class, Brandon, that if you have to explain your meme, it's probably not the one to use, I guess. Yeah, so. It's a great illustration. Okay, verse 27. <laughs> verse 27, look at their diligence. Okay, the slothful man roasteth not that which he took in hunting. He likes killing it, he don't like dressing it. He don't like preserving it. But the substance of a diligent man is precious. And so we're running out of time, so we're in the lightning round. We're going to get two verses in two minutes. Lord, help us. Here we go. So this is talking about treasuring what is received versus despising what is received. The slothful man makes the kill, but he never makes it. The kill never makes it to the table to nourish his family. He's out there. He's working, but it's not producing substance for his family. It's like the lazy man that's always starting projects and never finishing them, to which my wife on the live stream with my mother-in-law is saying, but hey, you're a hypocrite. No, honey, I'm not a hypocrite. That's not true. I do eventually finish those projects, just sometimes there's a timely, strategic, necessary pause, and, and you know that right well, and so there, let's... Uh... Keep, let's move on. Proverbs 19.24, a slothful man hideth his hand in his bosom and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. Holy moly, talk about lazy. So the diligence says every little bit of increase adds up. In other words, the motto is don't waste. Waste not, want not. 
Everything adds up, so don't waste it. So to the diligent, everything has value. Nothing is wasted. They understand, the diligent understand, everything adds up over time, and so they hit their goals. Proverbs 12, 11. He that tilleth his land shall be satisfied with bread. And then look at the promise. Verse 28. Look at how they view the promise of God. In the way of righteousness is life, and in the pathway thereof there is no death. So an application in terms of New Testament, right? A New Testament inspirational application. Well, who is our righteousness? Jesus. Let the whole church say Jesus. Jesus is our righteousness, Philippians 3.9, right? Uh, our righteousness is through faith, the faith of Christ. So the way of righteousness is life, and the pathway thereof, there is no death. So Jesus is our way. He's our truth. He's our life, John 14. And there is no death in him. We have salvation through Jesus. We have eternal life, John 3.16. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it teaches us, how it instructs us. God, I'm just asking you right now for the ability to imply, to apply wisdom from on high uh, to our lives, to the decisions, the details, the directions that we have to take. Lord, we want the word to apply. And so God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I just plead the blood that was shed by Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, as the Lamb, your Lamb, the Lamb of God, was shed to buy us out of our sin and rebellion, to, to wash away our sin, to redeem us, Lord, to put us in relationship with you. God, would you do a work in our heart that we would say we don't want to follow a way that seems right to us. We don't want to lean to our own understanding. God, help us to, in all our ways, acknowledge you. And then, Lord, get full of faith that, God, you're directing our paths. Lord, we're seeing in this, in this chapter a contrast between the righteous and the wicked. Lord, help us to be a people that love the good and eschew the evil. Help us to be a people who choose to side with you, to choose righteousness, the, to live in the righteousness of Christ. Lord, to see beyond our current circumstances and the present moment and to realize our life is hid in you and the person of Christ Jesus, that God, we have something with you that is, is eternal so that we wouldn't make the mistakes of of. of always living in the moment, for the moment, for the pleasure of sin, for a season. Uh, God, help us to live as your children, as members of the body of Christ, as, as, as a part of the bride, right, as the bride of Christ. Lord, help us to live so that not only are we blessed, but God, that ultimately you're glorified. And then, Lord, I pray that you'd find us faithful, that you'd find us diligent. Lord, bless my brothers and sisters. Make us fruitful. Lord, help us to have fruit at the judgment seat of Christ. I beg in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.